Hey everyone, it's Paul Durham. Before we get started today, just a quick reminder that my Tribe of the Mind creative workshops begin on January 21st, that's a Saturday, and any 5th through 8th graders who are interested in rolling up their sleeves and doing some creative writing with me should check out pauldurhambooks.com slash tribe where they can pre-register and you can find out more about those workshops uh, starting every month beginning January 2017. Uh, also, if uh, you are looking for school visits uh, for the upcoming school year, either the spring 2017 or fall 2017, um, Again, check out my website. I have been so far to California, Texas, Minnesota, Kentucky, Pennsylvania, New York, <laughs> New Hampshire, Massachusetts, Maine, Florida. Uh, list goes on and on. And I hope to come and visit uh, your school too, wherever it may be. So reach out again. You can find out all that information at my website, pauldurhambooks.com. Uh, enough of that. Let's get on to today's episode of the podcast. Thanks for joining me. Shh. Are the kids gone? Good. It's time for Telling Lies to Children with me, your host, Paul Durham. This is a first-of-its-kind podcast, one hosted by a children's author, that's me again, but intended for adults who live and breathe children's literature. That's you. Whether you're a librarian, a media specialist, a teacher, or a parent, we all work with children every day. But sometimes, it's nice to talk like adults with adults who share our love of children's books and publishing. I'll be chatting with editors at the world's biggest publishing houses, literary agents, award-winning authors, booksellers, librarians, and even young readers. Join me and my guests as we give you a candid, behind-the-scenes look at children's publishing, the business of telling lies to children. But only the best kinds of lies, of course. Welcome, and I hope you enjoy the show. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas, everybody. It is Paul Durham, and welcome to Telling Lies to Children. This is the last episode of Telling Lies to Children for 2017. I'll be coming back to you again uh, in January with um, some more interviews, which I have. Uh, it's been about a month or two since I've done some interviews, but I've got some great ones lined up. I'll be going to uh, the Boston Public Library to talk to librarians there. Um, I have a special episode coming up that's uh, the theme is grown men talk about kids books and that'll be me and some other grown men talking uh, about kids books self-explanatory enough and i have lots more great authors uh coming your way uh, to interview in 2017 but for today's episode in honor of christmas and the festive holiday season upon us i thought i would start a new tradition and that is me reading to you uh a special holiday excerpt of the luck uglies um, now, if you've read the whole series, if you're familiar with the Luck Uglies, you may know that the biggest holiday uh, around village drowning is something called Silvermiss. And Silvermiss, uh, which was uh, inspired a bit uh, by Christmas, obviously, uh, but like a lot of things in my in my uh, books, uh, I don't like to use existing 
places or existing holidays or existing characters or anything like that. I, I kind of like to break new ground. Um, so I've, I sort of took Christmas and other holiday traditions, put a spin on it, and made it sort of a very uh, village drowning holiday. And uh, I didn't want to incorporate a Santa Claus in there, of course, because as we all know, Santa Claus is real, and I don't want to use real characters in my books. So I came up with a character in the Luck Uglies called Good Harper Kilpenny. And he is a somewhat Santa Claus-like uh, character. He doesn't uh, have a sleigh that's uh, flown by reindeer. He actually has what's called a mud sleigh, uh, which is sort of a hybrid between a carriage and a, and a traditional sleigh that's pulled by horses. And uh, Good, Good Harper doesn't come on any particular day of the year. He sort of wanders around from village to village throughout the shale. And uh, his purpose is to uh, collect uh, coins uh, for what he describes as the needy and downtrodden. And uh, in exchange, um, so what, what happens is all the villagers uh, in these various villages, they will go and on, uh, on the eve of Silvermus, they will set their shoes or boots out outside the door. Uh, again, this is, uh, if you're familiar with traditions in Europe, that's uh, somewhat of a Christmas-like tradition in Europe. Some places you'll set out a clog or a shoe instead of a stocking. Uh, so those, they, they will put coins in their boots, uh, put them out on the doorstep, and uh, depending on whether they've been generous uh, or if they've been uh, good or, or maybe not so nice over the course of the year, in return for those coins, Good Harper will leave something in return. And if you're good, that will be something like uh, candy or sweets or treats. You know, Rye and Lottie are usually very happy to get those. Quinn uh, is a big fan of green licorice, which uh, I don't know if you ever had green licorice before. I've never... Uh, I, I didn't know green licorice ac actually existed. I thought I made that up uh, until I had a Fork Tongue Charmers book party a couple years ago. And we happened to find at the local dollar store bags of green licorice. And we had those as giveaways uh, for some competitions at the uh, at, at the book party. And what I can tell you is that uh, I recommended that the kids not eat the green licorice, but one of the uh, contestants tore open to it and ate it. And by all accounts, he's still alive and well. So go figure. I guess maybe green licorice isn't quite as bad as uh, as we all thought. But in any event, uh, if, if you are uh, if you've been a, a good boy or girl or a good village drowning resident, uh, you may find candy in your boots. Uh, if you've been not so good, you may wind up with a potato. And if you've been really bad, you wind up with mouse droppings, which nobody wants to get in their shoes. Now, one of the things that's interesting about uh, Good Harper is that, again, he's not magical, and he doesn't come on any particular night of the year because he has lots of villages to tackle. Uh, nobody really is sure exactly when he's going to arrive at a given village. So uh, it's not like Christmas Eve where the kids get all excited and they know, you know, Santa's coming and they, and they you know, they have something to look forward to and they get all worked up. Um, there's a sort of constant uh, period of speculation throughout the winter uh, in Village Drowning when, uh, when this uh, uh, good harper may arrive. And uh, sometimes he gets uh, sidetracked. Uh, the weather may be bad. Um, he may have too much to eat or drink at a tavern and not get back on the road when he should. Um, so this can be uh, this this can cause a, a fair bit of uh, aggravation uh, for the parents uh, in village drowning. 
Uh, the kids love it because there's, again, there's all sort of anticipation and buildup of Good Harper's arrival. Um, so when they do get wind that the Good Harper is coming, uh, those boots go out on the uh, out on the doorstep outside the door. And the next morning uh, on Silvermiss, uh, hopefully the uh, the uh, residents of Village Drowning find boots full of uh, candy and treats as opposed to potatoes and mouse poop. So with uh, Silver, that little context behind Silvermiss, uh, that is actually how the second book in the Luck Ugly series, uh, The Forked Tongue Charmers, uh, that's how that book opens. And what I thought would be a fun tradition to start for the holidays is for me to read uh, the first chapter of Forked Tongue Charmers. It's kind of like the night before Christmas. Uh, not exactly. Um, and what I will say is that I don't, when I read this, I don't do nearly as good a job as Fiona Hardingham, who is the narrator who did the wonderful audio version of Fork Tongue Charmers, as well as the entire Luck Ugly series. So if you haven't heard Fiona's version, um, I'd encourage you to uh, to listen to it. She, she's an amazing voice actress. She did a terrific job. Um, but in the meantime, uh, for now, you're stuck with me, so I will do the best I can. And uh, here is chapter one of the Luck Ugly's Fork Tongue Charmers. And uh, welcome to Village Drowning and Silvermiss. Here we go. Chapter 1. Only Trouble Knocks After Dark It wasn't often that anyone thumped the cottage's rusting iron door knocker after dark, but Ryochanter still never expected to find three twisted, leering faces on the other side. They loomed down at her from behind flurrying snow. Rai knew what the masked figures were, if not who they were, so perhaps there was no need for alarm. Then again, Luck Uglies had never just shown up on her doorstep before. She took a careful step backward. Abio Chanter joined her, a cloak flung over her nightdress. She'd already untied her hair ribbon for the night, and her dark locks fell loose past her shoulders. In her arms, she held the family pet, a regal beast with thick black fur and keen yellow eyes. He was as big as a young child, as he stretched, and as he stretched his long forelegs, he extended sickle-like claws for the benefit of the visitors. Shady could be a ferocious guardian when motivated, which wasn't all that often. Abby combed his luxurious mane with her fingertips, and raised an uninviting eyebrow. Rye's mother had never been one to spook easily. "'What is it?' she demanded of the visitors. The tallest of the three— ducked his head under the fresh, evergreen garland strung along the doorframe. Shady let out an unexpected rumble from deep inside his throat, the kind he generally reserved for unwelcome denizens of the bogs. Rye saw her mother slip her fingers around his runestone collar in case he decided to misbehave. The masked figure hesitated, then opted to lean forward without stepping inside. The gnarled leather of a long, beakish nose jutted from under his cowl, so close to Abby's ear, it seemed it might jab her. Under Shady's careful watch, the man whispered something that sounded like the rustle of dead leaves. He cocked his head as he spoke, and the mask's hollow black eyes met Rye's own. The figure leaned back, and Snow once again settled onto his cloaked shoulders. He can't come for her, he can't come for her himself, Abby said, an edge in her voice. The figure shook his head. Come for who? Rye asked. Abby ignored her and seemed to bite back harsh words on the tip of her tongue. 
Instead, she said, I've got porridge on the fire if you'd care for some. The masked figure just shook his head again. Be off, then, Abby said. She didn't seem at all disappointed that they declined her invitation. The figure nodded by way of goodbye and vanished into the shadows of Mud Puddle Lane with his two companions. Rice squinted to see where they went, but spied only the flickering lantern lights of their neighbors' cottages. She turned to her mother. What is it? she asked. Your father, Abby said. He's sent for you. You leave to meet him tomorrow. But it's finally Silvermus, Rye protested, and the Black Moon. How often does Silvermus fall on a Black Moon? Silvermus was Rye's favorite tradition. Where once the holiday was intended to honor deities long forgotten, it had since evolved into a family celebration. A time for one last great feast before the chills and hardship of a long winter. Of course, in practice, Silvermus followed whatever night Good Harper actually happened to arrive in a particular village on his mudsleigh. This made for a great amount of speculation and excitement among the children. Rye's mother and the other parents found the suspense to be of less amusement, particularly this year, since it was already early spring and Good Harper was only now making his way to village drowning. The black moon, the darkest night of every month, well, that was something else entirely. Villagers locked their doors with the black moon's rise, for the men who prowled the night under the moonless sky weren't always so benign. Three of them had just left the O'Chanter's doorstep. I don't think your father's timing is a coincidence, Abby said. There was a weight on her face that Rye couldn't quite gauge. You'll be away for only a day or so. He's been gone all winter, Rye mumbled to herself. Why now? It wasn't that Rye didn't want to see her father. She was just getting to know him when he'd abruptly departed to tend to some pressing matters outside the village. He had recently taught her all sorts of useful skills her mother would never approve of. How to shimmy down a drain pipe while blindfolded. How to hide a key under your tongue and still sing an off-color limerick without slurring your words. He'd promised he would see her again as soon as he was able. But all winter, she had been looking forward to meeting her friends and trading their silver treats. Folly was usually willing to part with a few caramel pralines, and Rye always convinced Quinn to take the green licorice off her hands. Quinn actually seemed to like green licorice. He was odd like that. He wouldn't have called if it wasn't important, Abby said stiffly, then softened. She gently pushed an unruly brown bang out of Rye's eyes. Rye had never been one to fuss over her hair. It was too short to braid, but too long to ignore. I know you're disappointed, but he's arranged a Silvermist surprise for you. Trust me, I think you'll be pleased. Rye raised an eager eyebrow. You have to wait until tomorrow, Abby said, anticipating her next question. Abby flashed her a smile, but Rye noticed her mother's hesitation before closing the purple door carved with the shape of a dragonfly. Abby stared down the northernmost end of Mud Puddle Lane toward the dense pine forest known only as Beyond the Shale. Rye had seen that look before. Something in the air? Rye asked, reaching out to scratch Shady's furry ears. His bushy tail swayed in appreciation. Something was all Abby said, and they went inside for bed. Morning's first fingers of light had barely cracked the windowsill before Rye and her sister, Lottie, 
rushed from their room in their nightdresses. The cottage was already warm, with the smell of Abby's brown sugar and raisin porridge, but the girls ran straight past their bowls, jostling for position at the cottage door. Lottie had strength beyond her years when there were sweets to be had, and Rye found herself knocked against the doorframe by the compact but determined three-year-old. For centuries throughout the shale, in towns large and villages small, residents would fill their shoes with coins and set them out on their doorsteps for Silvermas. Good Harper would then ride the mudsleigh through each village and collect the coins while the townspeople slept, to be distributed later to the needy and downtrodden. Good villagers received sweets in return. Bad villagers received a potato, or, if they were really awful, mouse droppings. The more coins left, the better the fortunes of the family for the coming year. Woe betide the man, woman, or child who failed to leave at least one miserly bronze bit. Rye crammed her hand deep into the toe of one oversized boot, then the other. The boots had belonged to Rye's father when he was her age. They were ragged in the heels and probably contributed to her numerous stumbles, but Rye wore them every day. They came in particularly handy on Silvermas, more room for candies. And yet, that morning, they had done no good at all. Pigshanks, Rye cursed. Lottie had already emptied the bulging contents of her shoes and was busy stockpiling treats in her cheeks with the expertise of a chipmunk. She opened her chocolate-filled mouth. You said a bad word, she garbled. Then you better not repeat it, Rye said, holding an empty boot to her eye to get a better look. She couldn't believe that Lottie, of all children, had gotten a full shoe while she had nothing, not even a potato. Wait, Rye said, finally discovering something deep inside the toe. She removed a hard, heavy object and examined it in her hand. You got coal, Lottie cackled. It's not coal, Rye said, rolling the stone over in her palm. It was the size and shape of a somewhat flattened egg, flawless ebony in color, and smoother than glass, as if polished by centuries of tides. It was also frigid. Instead of warming to her touch, it seemed to draw the heat from her fingers. She'd never seen a stone like it before. Rye got coal, Lottie repeated when their mother appeared behind them. Abby pulled back Lottie's thick red hair so it wouldn't get so it wouldn't stick to the nougat on her cheeks. And she said a bad word, Lottie added quickly. She pretended to share a chocolate with Mona Monster, her pink hobgoblin ragdoll. Maybe that's why she got the coal, Abby said, shooting Rye a look of disapproval. It's a rock, Rye said glumly. Embarrassed, she tucked it out of sight in her pocket. Why would Good Harper leave me a rock? This was shaping up to be the worst Silvermus ever. Mistakes happen sometimes, Riley, Abby said. She shifted her legs so that the hem of her dress concealed her own overflowing shoe. It was too late. Rye had already seen it. One year, the quartermaster's hound got loose and ate all the Silvermus shoes, Abby volunteered. If that makes you feel any better. Rye just frowned. It didn't. Speaking of which, Abby began... Rye! Lottie! a voice called. A boy in red long johns hopped on one foot from the cottage three doors down, one boot on and the other in his hands. He was tall and reedy, the sleeves of his undershirt ending well short of his wrists. Quinn Quartermast, Abby said. Where in the shale are your britches? You'll get icicles in your lungs. Or somewhere worse. Quinn shrugged and his cheeks turned as red as his long johns. He balanced on one foot and held out a boot full of treats. Do you want to trade? he asked eagerly. 
Rye got coal, Lottie said, examining Quinn's hall with a discerning eye. I got a stone, Rye clarified. That had a nicer ring to it than a rock. Oh, Quinn said in disappointment. But he quickly put on a happy face for Rye's benefit. You can have some of mine. I've got plenty of green licorice. Thanks, Quinn, Rye said half-heartedly. Lottie turned her nose up at the licorice and pulled her own pile closer. Rye saw Quinn's eyes suddenly go wide. He blinked hard as if clearing blurry vision. He pointed to the far end of Mud Puddle Lane. Is that, he stammered, awestruck. Rye and Lottie both turned to look. There, at the farthest end of the frozen dirt lane, was an enormous, weather-worn coach pulled by four heavily-muscled draft horses. At their reins was a hefty, gray-bearded man in a wide-brimmed hat the color of a ripe plum. A matching woolly scarf enveloped his neck, its end draped down to his boots. Rye looked to her mother, mouth agape. "'You can't say your father doesn't have a flair for surprises,' Abby said. There was a tight smirk at the corner of her mouth that told Rye she remained both impressed and exasperated by her father's special brand of flair. "'You, my love, are going for a ride on the mudsleigh. Now let's get you loaded up before a good harper finds himself overrun by every child in drowning. So that is the end of the first chapter of The Luck Ugly's Fork Tongue Charmers. Hopefully it was enough to put you into the Silvermas spirit or the Christmas spirit or the holiday spirit. Um, thank you all for listening uh, both to this episode and every episode throughout 2016 that I've had so far. Um, hope you'll join me again uh, come January. And wishing everybody very happy holidays, happy reading, and as always, ugly luck. Take care. That's it for today's episode. Thanks for listening, everybody. As always, Telling Lies to Children was brought to you by, well, nobody. Just me and my guests. One of the nice things about being completely unknown in the vast world of podcasting is that you don't have to listen to me read 10 minutes worth of ads at the beginning and end of every episode. But I hope you'll check out my website, pauldurhambooks.com. There you can find out more about the Luck Ugly series, you can book a school visit, you can shop the newly opened Dead Fish Inn gift shop, or just reach out and say hello. I'd love to hear from you. You can also find links to all of my guests' websites and social media there. So until next time, I wish you happy reading, ugly luck, and I look forward to chatting with you again soon. that woke you up. See you next time.